thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. And I mean it now more than ever, because while we're all processing with everything that's happening around us, a one hour timeout where we engage in a candid conversation with Raja is just what we need. Um, thank you for giving us your time, Raja. To say that we're looking forward to today is an understatement. Uh, we received more than 270 registrations um, and cannot wait to hear about your journey and how you're building the brands for tomorrow. Thank you, uh, Vishwani. Thank you, everyone. I'm uh, pretty overwhelmed to see all of you and uh, see the interest. I'm 100% sure I'll disappoint everybody. Uh, but, uh, but I hope this becomes a fun chat and I hope uh, you pick up something that's of interest to you or that's of value to you. Uh, but pretty thrilled to be here. Um, I was telling, I think when Ragini sent me the first email, I responded almost instantly. And I frankly read only the first para of the mail where I, if I'm, I'm just quoting from memory, but it said something like, our mission is to encourage more women leaders, uh, something like that. And I said, I actually didn't read more than that. And I just said, you know, let me know how I can help. Uh, and she said, you know, can you give us an R? It seems like the simplest thing in the world to do. So I'm pretty thrilled and honored to be here and, uh, and chat with all of you. The honor is all ours. We are so thrilled to have you. Um, ladies, for those of you who don't know Raja, he is the co-founder and managing partner of Spring Marketing, uh, Spring Marketing Capital. It's a unique skin in the game marketing capital firm, which partners with founders to offer capital and marketing experience. Raja began his career and spent a decade at Ogilvy before he became the CMO at Deutsche Bank where they, when they launched their retail in India. And armed with his marketing and brand know-how, he then moved to heading marketing at Sequoia Capital India, which if I'm right, Raja, you call your defining career stint because that's where you interacted with a lot of founders before he finally set up Spring Marketing Capital with his partners in 2019. And that has delivered some of the biggest marketing campaigns which you're all well-versed with, including Baijus, Epigamia, Levi's, and Cars24, to name a few. Thank you once again, Raja, for so willingly doing this for us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Like I said, it's an honor and a privilege. I'll just, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's impossible today in any conversation to, um, not take note of the circumstances we are all in. I'm sure uh, many of you have fought battles for yourselves, for your families, for your team members, for your extended circles. Um, so a lot of uh, sympathy. I mean, I think leaders, a uh, lot of empathy, I must say. I mean, I know what it takes to fight these battles. Um, and if any of you are still fighting those battles, wishes and prayers from my side that you get to the other side. Thank you. Before we jump into the multiple questions we already have from the audience today, uh, I'm going to start off with a rapid fire round for you. We ask all our speakers just three to four questions for our members to get to know you a little better. And my only request is that you be as rapid and uh, full of fire as possible. So are you ready? Okay, question one. Ogilvy or Sequoia, your more memorable stint? Sequoia. <laughs> That was quick. The one interview question you're not a fan of. Um, what is your biggest weakness? I think everyone fudges that question. It's a stupid question and it usually comes up with answers like, oh, you know, I get so involved in my work that I sometimes forget to sleep. And you know, you know the drill. It's yes. a meaningless question and usually gets meaningless answers. Absolutely. 
a concept that you'd like to erase from the marketing or advertising dictionary a concept as in a um can you explain that anything that you feel is that needs to just be eradicated from the marketing or the advertising world like you know how some people do not they have, they're averse to the word viral or disruptive marketing any anything that you feel so i just feel that uh, you know i i have uh, i've been in marketing for 25 plus years and i've uh, i think the one thing i would erase is uh, just some very um, old fashioned thinking around uh, what consumers are and you know the stereotypes around consumers that lots of marketers tend to have i would erase that i think it stands in the way of uh, great brands being built it stands in the way of communication and unfortunately i think advertising when they reinforce stereotypes it's a bit like movies reinforcing stereotypes i think consumers should call it out you know if you if brands reinforce stereotypes i think we all have a, we have, we all need to call that out and that's something that i wish we could eradicate definitely a brand that you want to work with but haven't yet ah so i think a bunch of brands that i really respect um, airbnb is one example um i think I, i i it's a brand that i respect a lot i mean uh, again disclaimer i've seen them uh, for the last few years also because they're a sequoia portfolio company so i had the chance of hearing the airbnb story from brancheski himself that's super impressive but more than that i think it's a company that has that wears its heart on its sleeve i mean everything that it does it does because it believes in it uh, so the founders have a clear vision a clear belief so just to give you an example when the when the immigration law was passed by trump for the first time um the very next day uh, brian uh, tweeted saying look if any any of you are displaced you can come and stay in an airbnb for a few days and we'll take the cost and he did it so fast and i had i think uh, right after that i was in the us and i was talking to the board member from sequoia who who uh super smart guy called alfred lin uh and i asked him saying hey i'm sure he didn't ask any of the board before before <laughs> i mean and he's taking on the establishment he's saying something like that it's not yet played out and alfred said something very interesting to me he said this company succeeds and fails on the back of its beliefs um they don't do anything for marketing purposes they do it because they believe in something that's just the way they are and i really admire that i admire the fact that they don't mind coming up and saying we are sorry you know we screwed up absolutely um, I, i i i admire the way they wear their heart on their sleeves and i wish i had an opportunity to work with them i think that makes a lot of us cuz i'm definitely fan girl with fan girling with brian all the time super raja that was a very quick and great rapid fire uh, i'm going to jump right into the questions but before we begin a lot of you are joining us for the first time so please feel free to drop in your questions or your comments in the chat box as we go along um and i'm going to take them up and mix them okay i'm going to begin so for you raja it's been quite the ride from advertising to banking venture capital marketing um how has it really been and we'd absolutely love to hear everything that you've not just learned but also unlearned along the way because you know spring marketing capital is i mean i think it's such a hybrid sort of unique form um it's not like any other ad agency it's the first of its kind so we're absolutely all ears um and would love to hear it from you super so i'll try and keep this short it's always difficult to keep it short when you're speaking about yourself 
my dad can I can use the remaining one hour to do that. But I'll try and try and be uh, succinct and keep this for about twelve or fifteen minutes max. Uh, Vishwani, please keep me honest and you know, keeping an eye on the clock, but keep me honest. Um, and actually, I'd love to answer your questions after that. I mean, I think that will be more fun, more interactive uh, than just one-way communication. Also, there are lots and lots of you. I think there's a first Zoom call I'm having where it's folding into so many screens. Um, so I'd love to actually end up at least speaking to some of you by the time the call is over. Um, so yeah, I began. I think uh, Vishwani described it probably uh, even better than I. I can, which is that everything that we are at Spring, to my mind, is a little bit of the is a summation uh, of the journey that three of us, me, Arun, and Vineet, have had over the last couple of decades. Um, so I should also tell you a little bit about them because I think only then it makes sense to explain Spring. Um, Arun was a chairman and chief creative officer of Lowland as he's uh, twenty years in advertising. Uh, we frequently joke that you know the only reason Spring is known is because of him, because everybody knows who he is. Everyone has seen his advertising campaigns. Uh, he's worked on many, many brands, including brands of Unilever, Google, Flipkart, Swiggy, um, Access Bank, Fast Track. I can go on. Vineet uh, is very different from both of us. He was uh, uh, the founder of um, Twenty Two Feet, which became the pioneering digital marketing agency in this country. He sold it. Uh, to the Omnicom Media Group and became CEO of the acquiring entity. And the three of us actually come from three very, very different spaces, typically in a partnership. And we are a fund as well. So, you know, uh, and I've seen that in, in other VC firms. When you're pitching your fund, you usually say, hey, we are all very similar and we have same backgrounds. Uh, we are fairly unique. We have nothing to do with each other. We're very different individuals. We're very different experiences. And actually, we are very three very different personalities as well. But I think there is a, um, you know, that's the reason we came together. And that to me is the single biggest advantage of being uh, in Spring and building Spring. So what is Spring? Spring is a marketing consulting firm and an investment fund. Um, the simplest way of describing it, and it's a fairly complex product, but the simplest way of describing it is that in a year, if, uh, if we work on any assignments, 20 brand projects, 15 of them are consulting assignments. Uh, that pay us consulting fees. So that's kind of the working capital. Um, and five of them are equity investments that the fund makes, which hopefully will generate wealth in the long term. So the companies where we take consulting fees, we don't take equity. And the companies where we take equity, we don't charge a consulting fee. And because we don't charge a consulting fee, we expect uh, that the best price in the round should be ours. And uh, it's a fairly, I would say, naive uh, structure. Uh, at the point that we launched it in 2019. No one has ever done anything like this all over the world. We spent some time in Singapore. We spent some time in uh, SF. We met folks who have tried something like this, but uh, you know, the model itself was very unique. But we felt this was required for India. And we felt it because uh, the marketing industry, and I, I, you know, some of you belong to that, so forgive me <laughs> for what I'm going to say now. But uh, the marketing industry is mostly aligned on the wrong side of the balance sheet. You know, the unfortunate truth is that uh, the advertising agencies, the communication agencies, they make money when the brand spends money. Um, and it's a bit like, you know, paying your travel agent a percentage of your uh, travel cost. The ROI will never work in your favor. And this was really our starting point. Secondly, you know, we, um, again, the Sequoia experience, um, we loved what uh, we love working with founders, and it so happened during my Sequoia stint. That's where I met Arun and Vineet. As I started working with various consumer-facing portfolio companies, we I ended up working with Arun and Vineet on various projects. 
Um, and that's really where the idea of Spring came. Because founders who are building a brand and a business frequently really don't know uh, what should be done, how much money should be spent offline versus online. Um, how do you navigate uh, the consumer spaces? How do you take key decisions around proposition? And we realized that we genuinely enjoyed doing it. And I think this is not for everyone. I mean, it's, uh, I think there are companies which are very good with working with the Unilevers of the world. And there are companies who can do this. And we felt that the founder world lacks uh, marketing partners. And that's what we wanted to become. That's our aspiration that we partner with founders and build the brand, brands of tomorrow. And we felt it required a unique model, uh, which is why we are doing what we are doing. We've also built a team of about 30 consultants. And they actually come from different parts of the marketing spectrum. So we have a McKinsey consultant. We have an investment banker. We have designers. We have copywriters. We have UI UX folks. We have um, content creators, you know, long form content creators. We've just hired someone from Flipkart who comes from the growth marketing vertical. Uh, we have someone who's uh, worked for 10 years in Unilever who consults with us. We have a VP marketing with about 15 to 20 years of marketing experience. And uh, I think that's unique. It's a very unique blend of people. Um, and we will keep adding to that. You know, what we don't want to do is become a traditional we are not an advertising agency in thought, in team structure, in the way we work. We actually go from consumer proposition to go to market and then, you know, creating and whatever then the brand takes. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, for the last six years, Arun and I have been involved with everything Baiju's has done. So um, all the credit and debit on the brand and marketing goes to us. Um, so Baiju's is large a brand that is built on the back of television advertising. So that's what we do for them. So everything that you see on uh, campaigns uh, is done by us. We also have worked for the last two plus years with this company called Wakefit, which has grown from six crores a month to 60 crores a month during our tenure there. And we even spent a single dollar on advertising. Everything on Wakefit has been built digital first. Um, and I saw some chat messages on sleep internships. So yeah, uh, that was an idea that came from us. But I think, um, I think one of the things that we've kept close to our heart in Spring is that we will never leave a fingerprint on the work that Spring does. Uh, you know, you look at a, some work and you, for example, you look at a film and you say, hey, that's, this must be that director. Or you say, hey, this is done by that agency. Um, I think that's wrong. I think you have, we have no business adding a fingerprint to our work. We should do what works for that category and the consumer. And as you know, in the last two plus years, we worked on 35 plus brands. And they are as diverse as you, as you can imagine. You can take a look at our website. A lot of that work you will see. So I already mentioned Big Fit and Baidu's. We also work with Purple, which is, which is also our first investment, uh, which is a very mass, um, which is a company that builds uh, beauty and skincare products for all of India. We also work with Levi's, uh, where you must have seen the last Deepika campaign that, uh, that was pretty popular. Uh, which is all about a very different lifestyle and attitude for women. And I think we should be able to do both. I mean, I think we should not be restricted by our thinking or our abilities. We should do what it takes to build a brand. Um, and I think that's the agenda-less thinking that we are trying to bring to the fore. Um, we are pretty, um, at Spring, um, we are in the process of building a 200 plus crore fund. We are halfway there. We've raised about 100 crores. We have a very impressive and interesting list of investors who've invested in our fund. Uh, some of them are VC, some of them are founders like Kunal Shah and uh, Murga Bharat Matrimony, some of them are family funds. 
there is a celebrity management agency, two of the largest advertising filmmakers in this country, um, the ex-CMO of Domino's, the head of a culture insight firm, Manish Chandra, the founder of Poshmark, um, Shalini, who runs Google TV in SF. So very interesting mix of people from uh, different walks of life. And this is very deliberate. Uh, the intent is to build a white combinator of consumer in India, because I, I personally believe that D2C brands is really at a very early stage in India. I think the next 10 to 20 years, we're going to see D2C take off in India. Um, and I feel we are in the right place at the right time. Uh, but to make this happen, to actually build the brands of tomorrow, it's not enough to just have capabilities of your own. Uh, we must also have the right community from all over the world, which can actually help us build that. And just imagine that Manish of Poshmark um, is available to a, a founder of our investee company uh, for a conversation on how do you leverage content uh, in a superior way in D2C. I mean, that's an amazing skill, right? Shalini, for example, in Google um, was the leadership team of YouTube. So having people with this kind of background and experience to me is super critical. And that's really the Y Combinator story. So that's spring, like I warned you, um, I think I've already taken enough time on spring. So, but this is a labor of love for all three of us. Uh, you know, this is what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Uh, we are super passionate about what we do. We enjoy working with founders. We say no a lot. Uh, so that 2015 five is a real number. Um, and uh, we're very, very particular about who we work with. For example, last year in the middle of the pandemic, uh, in June, we resigned our second largest business on the consulting side because we felt we were not making impact uh, for a variety of reasons. I don't want to get into that, but we, it took us less than 45 minutes internally to decide that we're going to let this business go. Uh, and we operate like that. And that's the beauty of having worked for long enough and step and you know starting up at this ripe old age. Um, you know, we, we're, not, we're really not worried uh, about, you know, uh, our future or our present. Uh, we've been fortunate. We have been really fortunate that we've got a lot of brands coming and wanting to work with us. So all, I mentioned to you, 35 brands, all of them are inbound. Uh, the three of us have not picked up the phone and spoken to a single person for business in the last two and a half years. 50% uh, of the LPs who have come into the fund are inbound. Our anchor investor is inbound. And I think that's part of the story of building a brand as well, which is that uh, I, I really believe in that. I mean, if we are great at brand building, then we should be great at building our own brand as well. And if you are able to build your brand in a strong manner, then a lot of what happens happens through self-selection. Uh, the last five investors who came into our fund were inbound. The last four hires that we've had are inbound. People who wrote to us, one of them is a cold mail uh, saying, you know, I love what you guys are doing. I want to talk to you guys. And I welcome that. Uh, the last four consulting assignments are inbound. And I mentioned that because that's the way you build a brand. When you build a brand, and it's true for consumer brands, it's true for a D2C brand. If your brand narrative is strong enough, if, you're, if it's consistent, um, if you're clear on who you are and what you want to be, if you have the ability to say no, um, then I think consumers will come in on self-selection. I'll give you a, a, a live example of this. Uh, we've just started working on Spinny. It's like two days old. Um, and uh, yesterday, the founder had a long chat with us, um, Neeraj, and he, he, he was fantastic to hear him speak about Spinny. There's one thing that he said, which will remain in my mind. He said, uh, you know, Spinny is a platform to buy used cars. So you go online and you see all these cars with their prices. And he says, the price that we put on the website is a price that you will come and buy at our uh, showroom or 
you know, when you come to the showroom, you pick up the car, that's the same price. Nobody negotiates, nobody haggles. And I was so impressed with that. I mean, you will possibly be turning away a small percentage of consumers because you're refusing to haggle. But think of the transparency and the honesty with which this business is being built. If you are able to make a claim like that, um, that's simply incredible. Um, and, you know, to me, that's the beginning of building a brand. Having a core set of beliefs and values that you're not willing to compromise on. Uh, and this is the challenge in today's world. And this is where D2C brands are breaking away. This is where they're starting to score over traditional FMCG brands uh, because they stand for something. I mean, soulless large multinational corporation. Sorry if some of you are <laughs> from that world. It's difficult for you to believe in something consistently over a period of time. Your head of Asia Pacific changes every two years. I mean, how can you have a common belief versus a founder who's here forever, right? I mean, our belief in spring is our belief. You might call it out, you might disagree with us, but that's what we think. We're not going to change. And that gives us an advantage. Founder-led brands have a big advantage over non-founder-led brands, simply because of the consistency of vision and focus. And what happens when founders don't are not consistent in their vision and focus? I think it shows. I think if you know whether you are a consumer of a brand or whether you are an observer, you will know businesses and brands that are consistent and businesses and brands that are not consistent. And yeah. that's really a partly our philosophy. So I think uh, I'm in my last minute. Uh, I didn't cover a lot of um, you know the journey bit, uh, but I just felt it's more important to speak about spring. And uh, I'm happy to answer questions on any parts of what I may not have covered, but. The That's chat box is actually buzzing um, with lots of questions. But of course, thank you for that, Raja. I'm going to jump in. And um, I think Kamla has a question that a lot of other members do as well. So Kamla, do you want to unmute yourself and ask Raja? Uh, hey, Raja. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, my question to you is since we started... Hey, uh, if you don't mind, can you also very quickly introduce yourself? Like just like five words. Uh, I'm Kamala. I'm a former journalist. I was news reporter and anchor. I'm currently building a civic education platform. And uh, my question to you is, since we started off with cred, um, you know, getting Rahul Dravid, uh, it, it was a great ad. I mean, I'm in the 36% that didn't think it was a great ad, I have to tell you. Uh, but anyway, you know, getting Rahul Dravid is a sign that cred could also afford Rahul Dravid, right? So my question to you is, what would be your advice to small businesses that are just starting out to build a brand that makes an impact? Um, because they won't have the budgets in early days, right? Yeah. Yeah. So again, look, um, I, I must, you know, and before you go on with the questions, you know, quick disclaimer from my side, everything that I'm saying is what I have learned. And this is my experience. None of this is meant to be preaching to you. Um, I am likely to be frequently wrong or I may not be relevant to your context. So please keep that at the back of your minds. This is purely what I think and what I have learned. Um, firstly, I think brands must, I mean, businesses must get to product market fit before they even think about brand and marketing. Um, we don't touch a brand in its early stage. Um, we don't work on it. We don't believe we have the skills for it because I think a company needs to get its distribution product pricing right. Uh, we'll have to experiment a lot. And frankly, the only way of getting to a reasonable level is, um, is performance marketing. And uh, that costs money. Uh, so you have to be careful in your early stage. Uh, but genuinely, I mean, I wish I had a better answer for this question, but until you reach product market fit, and that could be one crore a month for your company, it could be three crores a month, five crores a month. Um, but until you get there, I mean, frankly, you shouldn't even be speaking to someone like me. Uh, we are absolutely no use to you. It's actually a waste of your time. 
Uh, Sequoia used to write checks of you know less than a million dollars with companies, and I used to refuse to meet them, uh, not for any other reason, but that I used to keep telling them, you know, don't waste your time, don't speak to me, you know, you're still light years away from thinking about brand and marketing. And I've seen lots of young companies who raise a seed round or an angel round go and blow it up in marketing, and it's really a tragedy uh, because until you get to a PMF, until you have a clear understanding of what your company stands for. Until you've experimented, you've got your pricing right, distribution right. I mean, everything else is a waste of time. Uh, can you be thinking of your brand narrative at an early stage? Of course you can be. Uh, can you convert that into you know, decent looking packaging, uh, work with the resources that you have, create social media engagement? I think the smartest founders actually are half marketers themselves. Uh, frequently, you know, by the time we meet a founder, we realize that the founder has, one of the co-founders has been driving social media a lot. You know, for example, in today's world, social media is almost integral to product, right? You can't outsource it. Uh, Spring, for example, 90% <laughs> of the website I have personally written. Uh, there's no other choice. If you want your brand to represent what you think as a founder, you have to do it yourself. You can't, you can't subcontract it to somebody else. But you can, once you've reached a certain level, then I think there are levers on marketing that's available. Um, the good news today is you don't need a lot of money. I think this whole brand ambassador thing is, um, I, I'm always wary of saying this because then somebody says, but 15 of your brands on your website are brand ambassadors. <laughs> and that's true. And that's also because some of them are very large um, and can afford it, like you said. But also because most of the work that we've done, I personally feel that the brand ambassador is very relevant for the objective for which it was chosen. Unfortunately, 90% of advertising that uses brand ambassadors is wasted because the company almost feels like, oh, we've signed Shah Rukh Khan, our job is done. No, your job is just begun. And the problem is Shah Rukh Khan endorses 15 brands or 20 brands, I forget the number. And it's actually, you made it a more difficult challenge for your marketing team. Uh, now, not only are you, you know, having to give your brand a distinct identity, now that brand is competing with 14 other Shah Rukh Khan brands. Um, and I think, Brand ambassadors more often than not results in lazy advertising uh, simply because, you know, you also get, there are tremendous constraints, by the way, to work with A-listers. You know, the amount of time they give you, their entourage, it's a super expensive proposition. And I, you know, many times we actually push back with the founder saying, don't do it now, or this is not the right person. Um, you know, be very clear on the objectives before you do it. Don't do it for the ego reasons. Don't do it because you want to announce to the world that you were right. Don't do it because competition is doing it. So that's one long part of the answer. The other one very quick point also, which is something I strongly believe in. In today's world, the real brand ambassador is actually your consumer. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's not. Um, let's take Purple as an example. Purple has hundreds of brand ambassadors who are all regular women uh, from different walks of life. Some of them are housewives, some of them are working women. They're not, they're not celebrities, but they create content. They do unboxing videos that are followed by tens of thousands of people. Why does it work? It works because I think today's consumer wants authenticity. They want to feel that, um, you know, the dress you're wearing is something that I can wear too. You look at on screen and say, oh, of course, Deepika can carry off that dress, I can't. Um, and I think that's the strong shift in mindset that has happened where consumers look for authenticity. They look for people like themselves. I think that's the advantage that D2C brands have. So that even when you start building your brand, the narrative can actually be pushed on social media. Narrative can be pushed using consumers uh, rather than looking for influencers. I think the influencer trend 
is the is it's dying good news uh, but it's actually a you know phenomenally stupid trend uh, uh, where you are expecting somebody who's endorsing a cream today and a dress tomorrow a, a burger day after tomorrow to actually believe that they're adding value to your brand um again look some of this is generalization <laughs> there will always be an influencer with us extremely well for a brand uh, but i'm i'm speaking in general terms and i think that question you asked is a bigger question with the different parts to it so i tried to cover uh, multiple uh, that at multiple levels thank you so much um you know just taking from that raja what you said uh, of course a lot of our members here today are early stage founders and of course uh, i think i'm not wrong when i say they definitely cannot afford the dipikas and the sharuk khans of the world and like you probably said that um till you get your product market fit right you probably shouldn't um and i think that's what we see in the chat box and taking on your consumer mindset i think reema had a relevant question reema would you like to unmute yourself uh, and ask hi raja um so i'm basically chartered accountant and uh, a year back i left my mainstream career to promote primary healthcare services in india so what we observe is there are a lot of uh, point of care solution available in the market which if uh, consumer uses uh, in a day to day life they can actually track their uh, health more effectively and overall healthcare ecosystem can be developed in a very uh, positive way so my question came from that fact that uh, when while establishing your brand if the biggest barrier is uh, you know your consumer rigid rigid consumer mindset how should you know a early stage startup should go and market their brand um let me see if i've understood the question you're saying the consumer is because of habit because of the past exhibits a particular kind of behavior and it refuses to change yeah for example uh, let's say tier 2 customer who's hesitant to go for a telemedicine or uh, who just yeah like that So Rima, again, uh, look, uh, you're you're doing this, so uh, you know you you know the truth about your category. Uh, we work with Practo, um, which has seen its video consult business jump 10x in the last one year uh, because of the lockdown, of course. Um, to me, actually, there is the word rigid consumer is actually a little bit of an oxymoron. I think it doesn't exist. I think consumers today are super flexible. Uh, they are evolving faster than founders and marketers um, and just look around you right about a couple of years back during the days when we used to catch flights i remember standing in a queue in for an indigo flight every single person in that queue it's a pretty long queue about 30 people everybody was on their phones it's a indigo flight i can't remember where i was going but uh, every person was on the phone and you know what every person was on and they're all people from different um, you know different social classes different parts of india everybody was on instagram every single person in that 30 people they were young old uh, some of them were in regional language some of them were in english um, and you know you can make out the typical scroll right um, and that was a huge surprise to me and because i always used to think instagram is a metro phenomenon it's not um, you know every why is it not a metro phenomenon because it's visual I think consumers are evolving much faster than what we think they are evolving, you know, and that's really the. It's an opportunity and it's also a challenge. It's an opportunity because I think for founders like you, um, you don't need to have set frameworks. You know, one of the one of the things is, and I say this from personal experience, right? In my own category, like when we were starting or when we were raising a fund, 
uh, I met a VC who said a uh, super big name, uh, very prominent VC. He had a coffee with me and, you know, he said rather condescendingly at the end, don't raise a fund, man. You know, it's, this is very, we have been doing this all our life. It's a very difficult proposition. Um, you know, I have a suggestion for you. Why don't you do it like this? Now, he was coming from legacy thinking. Um, and I think that's the opportunity. Most large companies are suffer from legacy thinking because it's been like that all their life, because the consumer behaves in a particular way all their life. That's changing 100%. It's changing because of better content consumption. It's changing because of geo. It's changing because consumers today have access to everything in the world. For example, purple, right? Um, I discovered that one of the biggest ingredients, I'm sure you know this, but I didn't, was something called rose hip. Um, and I think it comes from Bulgaria. All women know this. And the purple consumers are from all over India. They're not just from metros. They know rose hip. They know, they know activated charcoal. I, these are actually last year's expressions. I mean, this year, there's something else altogether. People know apple cider vinegar. Um, they use the apple cider vinegar of wow. I mean, this is amazing how much consumers know. They know what it's used for. They know what the products are. And that's because they're connected globally thanks to the internet. And I think consumer behavior is evolving and changing very rapidly. I think as founders, uh, we can use that to our advantage. We can you know, exploit that. The challenge is that you'll have to take a few risks because you're asking consumers frequently to do something they've never done before. And I think that's okay. I think as a founder, we'll have to break that barrier and say, it's okay, we believe in this and we believe it's good for you and we believe you will change. For example, I told you about Practo, right? 10X increase in video consults in the last one year. Now, what happens when the world comes back, right? And we all hope that it comes back. And But think of someone who's now had the pleasure of booking an appointment the same day with a consultant, uh, with a physician, um, doing a 15-minute video consult, paying money on Google Pay, um, and getting a link for the medicines where you just have to pay the money and the medicines come to your house. Now, someone has gone through that experience. Um, will they go back readily to going and sitting in a uh, dumb clinic with 50 other sick people where you're bound to catch an infection that you didn't have, uh, where then you have to go to a pharmacy? I think consumers will make the change. For example, at Sequoia, when we were looking at Ola, I think one of the biggest mistakes we made was we did all the right, we came to the right conclusions. But we did not believe in the simple fundamental fact that an Indian consumer will actually walk out and then book a cab when they need it. We just couldn't believe it. And um, I think that's, you know, that was, I was part of the team that was doing the consumer. I refused to believe it. I said, we won't do it. Consumers will not, just think back pre-Ola or Uber. Would you believe it? Would you believe that a consumer will say, Mujhe airport jana hai to main app khol ke, I'll make a booking. It sounds so ridiculous, right? But it's part of life today, right? I think, of course, you can argue that it took a lot of money to make that change happen, possibly. Um, but if there is a strong need, for example, I think primary healthcare, like you said, is a very strong need in India. It needs disruption. And if you can use technology to disrupt it, I think the consumer will be willing. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I think just again, taking from that, uh, Mega had an interesting question on the future of traditional marketing. Mega, do you want to unmute yourself and ask Raja? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, hi, Raja. I am Mega. 
I work in Rakits right now, where the Southeast Asia Pacific head changes every two years. Please forgive <laughs> everything I said about that. <laughs> no, not at all. I resonate with everything you said, and it just touched my heart because I go through that sad change which I have made, and I'm again doing. So I, I, I'm the victim side. So I completely resonate, and I was completely mesmerized by how you spoke about your business and your brand. So thanks a lot for that. Uh, I spent close to seven years marketing Raja, and I started my career at that time. You saw this long format videos and everything, and at that time there was a very engaging conversation about brands and brand core. And Dove uh, broke the real beauty campaign where marketers were like driven from the dead bed that how your brand core is so important. Coming to now, uh, because in this fast-paced world, uh, you are constantly thrown these tactical challenges on your face, right? Which forces you to get into um, uh, short format videos, uh, tactical communication. Uh, how do you see this going ahead? Now, uh, case in point, like cred, uh, again, this is completely my opinion, I'm happy to be corrected. I felt it was a tactical campaign. They constantly spoke about the brand core, being good is always rewarding. And then they did this to drive downloads, uh, is what I felt. But uh, I, I'm just trying to understand that how do you see this going on? Because going ahead, the customer uh, engagement with the product will only reduce. It started with all short format video explosion with thumb stoppers to now. Uh, so, so consumer con attention span has dropped from what earlier it was probably say 10 seconds, now it's gone to three seconds. So how do you see this evolving? Thank you. Thank you, Mega. I think that's a super interesting question and uh, something that occupies, I think, all marketers, especially us these days. Um, I'm actually reminded when, when I was in Sequoia, in the first five years of Sequoia, I used to work. I mean, Sequoia was making very traditional investments because the tech ecosystem had not developed in India. Uh, so I used to work with companies like, you know, Pratap Snacks, which I PO'd a couple of years back, the indoor-based snack foods company and so on, hospitals and, you know, financial services and so on. But in the second half of my tenure, Sequoia started making tech-enabled consumer investments because that market took off. You know the reasons why it took off. And suddenly, one day, I was asked to meet Truecaller. Um, and the board members said, hey, can you spend some time? And I was petrified because I, my opinion was, what am I going to tell them? Like, like I, I don't know this business at all. I don't know the mobile app world. And um, it took me a lot of courage to go into that meeting. I'll be very honest. And I was like, oh my God, this is the day I get found out. This is the day Sequoia Capital said they made a mistake. And um, what was amazing is the true caller work that I did, I still hold as one of my top five projects in, uh, in my entire tenure. And that's where I learned a couple of things. One is that the traditional principles of brand and marketing are still valid. They've not gone away anywhere. And... Uh, uh, that's good for someone like me at my age <laughs> because, you know, I can still work with a 25-year-old, 30-year-old founder and get away with it. Um, but what has changed, and I come back to that again, what has changed is the consumer has changed. Content consumption has changed. But the, it's a bit like saying, look, a two-hour movie is still, uh, is still valid, right? We, you know, we enjoy a two-hour movie just the way our parents did. Um, the form in which we enjoy it has changed. For example, I... But two or three years back, I started hating going to theaters. I just didn't like the experience. And I shifted to streaming. Uh, my daughter is, uh, is 19 years old. She's never seen television. Like, like in the sense, she's never seen channels. Uh, even when she was a kid, she used to watch YouTube. Because her entire consumption, why is that? Because she's not willing to do appointment-based view. She's not willing to say, 7 p.m. today, there's a cricket match. She's not willing to do that. She's, she will say... 
I'll watch it tomorrow morning on, uh, you know, once it's recorded. Um, and that's the behavior that's changed. They're still consuming the same amount of content. Uh, it's just the way they're consuming it has changed. And I think that is what we have to recognize. And uh, so the traditional core principles have not gone anywhere. Um, you know, you need a strong brand core. You need a great product. In fact, I would actually argue that with D2C brands, product is more important than ever before. When I used to work in Ogilvy, for five years I worked on levers and I'm sorry if anybody's here from levers. But every soap is the same. Every shampoo is the same. I mean, the formulation is practically the same. Um, you add 0.01% of vitamin E and you say, okay, that's with vitamin E. And this is with aloe vera, which is 0.003%. <laughs> and, um, you know, but, and you're depending on advertising to cause differentiation. That's not true in D2C brands, right? D2C brands today can't do that. They can't just have an advertising differentiator. I mean, think of it, right? We used to say Pons is for the woman next door and Lacme is for the woman on stage. What even does that mean? I mean, that's so stupid. And I, I'm ashamed of myself for doing that kind of work 20 years back. And that's what I said, you know, we were reinforcing stereotypes. Today's woman, I mean, ask yourselves. I mean, if I were to ask any of you and say, hey, uh, Mega, are you a woman on stage or are you, a, uh, are you a woman next door? I mean, the only benefit I will have is not being in the same room. But otherwise, you'll slap me. Uh, these were the descriptions marketers used to use. I think D2C brands can't afford to do that. They have to say, what is my product for? What does it stand? Why is it different? What is the nature of this ingredient? You know, these are tough questions. So my view is the product being the USP has come back like never before. And this is where I feel the brands of tomorrow have are D2C brands rather than traditional companies. Because unfortunately, traditional companies are still caught with giving, creating the same formulation. Not all the time, of course. There are exceptions. There are great products being built by them too. Um, you know, I don't. Uh, sometimes it's easy to easy to exaggerate to make a point, uh, but I don't mean to be disparaging at all. Um, but I think that's the mix that we need to get right. Traditional principles remain the same, but you have to deal with an evolving consumer. You have to realize that there's a more nimble, agile consumer. So I always feel that your content creation abilities have to be much stronger than before. Uh, the one example I have, which is actually a brand which has existed for many years is Diesel. It's a brand I respect a lot. It's a brand that I'm a big consumer and a big fan of. Um, there is a very strong brand core to diesel. Diesel is very clear that we are for a certain kind of consumer. You walk into any diesel showroom anywhere in the world, you will find a certain commonality in the people who are inside, the consumers who walk into that store. It's a very big brand. It's one of the most profitable apparel brands of all time. And I think they've got their core product right. So they're you know, uncomfortable products, right? For example, a uh, few years back, I bought a jeans that didn't have a zip, which uh, is buttons instead of a zip. It's super uncomfortable. And it's like, why would you do it? But you still keep going back to diesel because they say, yeah, that's what we are. We are different. Uh, we are disruptive. Uh, we are for a certain kind of individual. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, two years back, uh, diesel faced its biggest challenge in the fact that everybody used to fake diesel, right? I mean, I think in India, especially everyone's wearing diesel. Uh, and uh, much more than how much the stores are selling. Um, and you know how they decided to tackle it? They opened in New, in New York, they opened the diesel fake store. This was a company owned store that sold fake diesel stuff with misspelled diesel name. The pop-up store sold out within 24 hours. Queue snaked for blocks 
people stood overnight to get a chance to buy a fake diesel um, apparel from the store. Those items have become collectibles today. They were forced to repeat the pop-up store once again. I mean, that's fantastic marketing. That's fantastic embracing. I mean, that's, I think, staying true to your core, but evolving with the consumer and saying, look, for us, you know, um, copying is flattery and we'll go along with it. Like, you, how can you fake us when we're going to fake ourselves? But it takes a lot of courage to misspell your logo on your T-shirt, right? Um, but I think, I think this is where the second part of the answer lies, which is evolving. The millennials loved it. Young people absolutely loved it. They, I almost feel like someone who, who looks at this will never buy a fake again in their life. You know, it just feels like instead of, you know, reporting you to the police and creating raids among stores, just embracing the concept of creating fakes. I, I, I was astounded when I saw it. Um, and I just feel that's the nimbleness and the evolution that a brand needs to have along with the core principles of being who you are. Thank you so much. Uh, that, that, that really, really helped. My biggest takeaway will be that uh, in my, so I'm now changing assignment, I'm moving to tech. So my biggest takeaway will be that probably 10 pictures which we used to write into the whole brand story are not going to be as straightforward as it used to be earlier. When I, when I could recollect that, I'll probably have a uh, more adapt story for my consumer. I also would say, Megha, is that the consumer is us, right? I mean, we always, when marketers sit down to write consumer pen portraits, we imagine this, the, for example, in Ogilvy, there used to be the saying, saying, Gita from Gorakhpur. And she was this alien person who none of us knew. No, we were all this uh, cool agency people and Gita from Gorakhpur is someone that we would condescend to. Unfortunately, that's how a lot of advertising is created. I mean, uh, I, I see a lot of plan. I used to see a lot of planning. We didn't hire a single planner from advertising simply for this reason, because unfortunately, and I'm sure there are some very smart people there, but they've been, unfortunately, the entire thinking is, you know, oh, this guy from Three Idiots is our consumer. Oh, this guy from this serial is our consumer. No, the consumer is us. The consumer is us. We are all on smartphones. We are exposed to the best in the world. Um, you know, we are smart. We are nimble. We are evolving. We should just look at ourselves. I think we should sell to ourselves first. We should ask, you know, we should ask our children the question saying, will you buy this? And, you know, talk to teenagers. I used to drive my daughter sometimes to school a few years back. And it was sobering to listen to them. I mean, sometimes a bunch of friends. It was really sobering to hear their conversations. And say, I'm oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, what kind of a world is this? It's so different from what we think yeah. it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I'm going to be the time police, Raja, unfortunately, but the good news is uh, that Raja is, has been kind enough to give us five to ten additional minutes. Um, and we do have some very interesting questions, Raja. Um, Heetal actually uh, has something that she wants to ask. Um, Heetal, she want to unmute yourself and ask because it's related to what Megha and Raja's uh, conversation was about. Sure. Thank you. Hi, Raja. Hi. Hi, hi. Um, I'm Heetal. I, I run an agency. It's, it's actually a communication consultancy called Nine Yards. And we pretty much uh, speak to brands that really want to connect in a more meaningful way with women. Um, and we're very new. We're pandemic born, but uh, we've had a great response. And I just want to understand from you, you touched upon the whole bit about breaking stereotypes while talking to women. And 
you know while a lot of beauty and uh, you know fmcg and uh, personal care products are trying to do that in little little bits and pieces here and there but how do you think brands that i, I want to understand what you think about brands that are still you know predominantly seen as male you know sort of in the male categories like finance and automobiles and uh, real estate you know when do you think they'll get um savvy enough to understand that there are enough women who either make or perhaps influence the purchase decisions you know and and do you think it's time for brands like this at least in our country to start speaking a slightly more inclusive language i think they don't have a choice my view is they will all die uh, these brands unfortunately and be very honest many of them are run by male teams though who don't know any better yeah. um and this is a challenge right this is a huge challenge it's a challenge for us as well uh, it's a challenge because women have not been traditionally part of leadership for many many years um i think it's changing but it will take time for that change to happen um in fact i feel that brands which are more inclusive which are which are smarter about this for example we used to work on muscle place i've been associated with the brand for 5 years i know i would recommend uh, you to see the video on muscle place is an active fitness product right and the first thing that comes to mind is these sweaty big guys in gyms every single ad of muscle place had a woman in it um when i used to work on royal enfield many years back we tried to get a woman on the bike um it was difficult i mean it was too early for that uh but i think today you will see if you see by uh, the royal enfield biking picture you see women in them and this is the point right if brands are able to break i think it comes from two problems right and i'll be very honest when we had that muscle blaze discussion one person in the room always says will our core audience get offended if there is a woman and you have to say it's okay it's okay if they get offended um and then you know they then you know we should drop that kind of audience that's not long term um you know because real people who care about their fitness are not male or female you know uh so this this tendency of saying that you know oh we are a financial services product they will only speak to men um unfortunately part of the problem is also because 70 to 80% of purchases on e-commerce is on men's credit cards and on men's accounts and there are many reasons for it the credit cards are obvious i mean uh, you know many women are housewives so they don't get credit cards so you know they use their husband's credit cards the second reason is that me- women get trolled which is also a disastrous scenario in our country so many of them don't like to reveal their phone numbers so they use their husband's or boyfriend's numbers to shop i mean that's terrible but because of this i think brands are losing an opportunity you know we saw this for example i don't know if you know this but uh when femina was a was a force at some point many many years back 50% of the readership was men when fair and lovely was a force 48% of fair and lovely usage is men 48% i'm i don't know the recent numbers i'm sure it's not very different and i just feel this this parity is not being recognized by marketers i think i think there is a big opportunity for new age brands for d2c brands to actually disrupt this we work with a couple of brands that are gender neutral uh we work with brands that are much more inclusive um i don't think we'll ever do work for anybody who says oh this is uh, male only uh, unless it's genuinely male only i mean you know um i feel that i feel the new age belongs to and i think millennials also refuse to recognize these distinctions um uh, so if you're a financial service product you want to attract the millennial you have to speak to women i it's really a tragedy that we are even having this conversation uh but i you know the good news is that i think the brands who are smarter will survive and the brands who are not will die which is good thing actually
Thank you. That's very heartening to hear. Thank you. I agree. Um, moving on from the current uh, topic, I think Radhika had a question which a lot of us might want to know is about budget allocation, of course, since again, so many stage founders here. Radhika, would you like to unmute yourself and ask? Yeah, hi, Raja. Um, my name is Radhika Butala. I um, own a brand consultancy called The Better Collective. And we actually work, uh, not at your scale, but with, uh, with founder-led brands as well. Uh, so um, I was really excited about today's conversation. You know, one of the things that uh, we often grapple with is as we're working with, with founders and early stage startups, there's always a, a decision to be made that within a finite uh, budget for uh, for marketing, you know, where in the marketing funnel, uh, where is it most important for uh, marketing budgets to flow for an early stage startup? So is it the brand awareness versus customer acquisition or is it, you know, remarketing to your most loyal customers? I mean, there's there's a million opinions on this and I'm just curious to curious to know your opinion. I think clearly, you know, obviously at early stage, it's about customer acquisition. It's about, so whether it's retargeting, whether it's performance marketing, you have to get your customers in. You have to get proof of concept. You have to get customers buying. The only thing is, I actually don't think these divisions exist. You know, as consumers, do we look at something and say, oh, that was for the brand. Oh, this is for me to buy a product. Oh, this is an offer. I think consumers don't see it like that, right? Consumers see advertising, they see communication, and they form opinions about companies and brands. I think every time, even with performance marketing, there is an opportunity to feed a little bit back into the brand. Every piece of communication that you do, there's a little opportunity to build your brand. And I feel that's what you should be focusing on. And that's where if you have a clear narrative, if you know what you are and if you know what you are not, a lot of the problems in early stage comes because of this confusion. You really don't know who you are and what you are. You're not sure if your consumer is 25 years old or 35 years old. You actually discover that a little bit during the acquisition process, and that's perfectly okay. Um, but I just feel the quicker you can get to a point that says, this is who I am, this is what I stand for, uh, then your ability to actually touch the consumer positively with a narrative, even if it's just a transactional ad, um, is very high. So what we normally do is when we look at uh, creating a brand framework and a communication framework, we break it down into the emotional, the rational, and the transactional. And Brand communication has to work with all these three levels, right? So even if it's a 20% offer, why is your brand saying it differently compared to somebody yeah. else? I think that little bit of extra thought can help. Yeah, thank you. Super. Uh, Raja, can we take just two, three more questions? Is that okay? Um, Juhi, um, I, do you want to unmute yourself and ask your question? I'm not sure if Juhi's here, but um, I'll, in the interest of time, I'll take her question. She actually wanted to know, Raja, if you are, um, how do you build a global brand when the marketing executives are in India and the customers and the competition is global, but the brand is actually being led from India? Uh, the marketing executives are in India, but you're building a global brand. Yes. And the competition and your customers are, are global. Competition. So again, this is my uh, belief and uh, I would be hesitant to work for a brand in another geography. Um, I think there is so much cultural nuance and consumer insight in building a brand. Um, I am, I find myself like, for example, we are now working with a company that's launching a service in the U S and I'm really struggling with it uh, because I, I, 
I'm not able to feel the consumer. I don't have an insight into the consumer. So we can do some basic work, uh, but you need on-ground ability. It's just you know the same mistake that lots of multinationals make. Um, like I used to be in Deutsche Bank, and we had a lot of uh, Germans who were telling us how the Indian consumer is. I'm like, really? <laughs> like you have no clue, man. <laughs> You've not been in India for more than six months. And they used to lecture us saying, you know, the Indian consumer things like that. Like, how do you know? Um, you're living in a swank uh, um, hotel uh, overlooking the marine drive. How do you know what the Indian consumer looks like or behaves like? So I think there is a risk of um, helicoptering into geographies, which uh, at least I'm not willing to take. So I, the answer is I don't know. Fair enough. That, that's right. Um, so very quickly, um, Deepali, I'd love for you to unmute and ask your question. I think it sums up what most of us want to ask Raja too. Hi Raja, how's it going? Thanks for taking the time to walk us through everything. Um, I think my question is really simple. I just I come uh, from 15 years of experience in F&B and journalism and uh, brands. So, and now I'm actually building a new uh, wellness platform that's actually based out of the US, <laughs> but we have team members all over the globe. Um, my question is actually, um, you know, primarily about from all your years of experience, what do you think is that one significant thing that can help distinguish a brand from everyone else, considering how much chatter there is online these days, right? There's so many brands in similar categories vying for attention. So, you know, what would, according to you, be that one distinguishing factor? So I'll tell you what we think, um, what we believe at Spring and what we try and do. We believe that every founder-led brand as an advantage because of the founder's vision and because of the founder's thinking. You know, frequently I tell founders this, uh, that 99% of the answers are inside the company. So I'll give you the Baiju's example. Um, you know, the Baiju's has this tagline that says for love of learning and you would have seen a lot of advertising. The love of learning tagline was actually on their website and it was patented by them. It was lying in one page, which I accidentally discovered uh, when I was at Sequoia and I was working with them. Uh, and that's actually what became the core proposition of the company, of the product. It gave meaning to their thinking. 99% the answer is with the founder. You just Most people just don't know the right questions to ask. Um, I frequently joke that we have paid a lot of money to tell you what you already know. Uh, but that's the truth. I think what distinguishes what is that one magic ingredient, the silver bullet is really a simple core philosophy or a belief or a purpose that comes from the founder or the founders. Uh, that distinguishes that brand from anybody else. To me, that's that one. If you're able to find it, if you're able to build it into the brand, then there is no question of creating any kind of artificial differentiation, uh, which is what the old world is used to doing. You know, hey, there is an advertising campaign, which is different. I mean, that's, you know, meaningless. If you're able to bring the philosophy, the policy, the belief va value system into the brand and make it touch the consumer, that's what Airbnb did. That's what Uber failed to do. Um, you know, the, in my opinion, Uber is one of the best products in the world, but where they failed is because there was no philosophy that flew from the founder. In fact, it, all the wrong things that flew, flew, flowed in um, and that cost them dearly, right? Um, and I think that's, that's the difference between an Uber and an Airbnb. And that's what we try and do when we work with founders, have the humility to recognize that the answers are actually available with the company. Our job is to... We frequently say we're not inventors. We are people who discover and then help in articulation. That's our job. Great. Thank you so much. That makes sense. Thanks. 
Um, I think before we wrap up, there's a couple of questions, Raja. So I'm going to take the last one. Um, Anusha and Sanika, you have similar questions. So Anusha, would you like to unmute yourself and ask? Hi, Raja. Uh, Anusha here. I work in the customer engagement and loyalty space with a fashion retailer. So my question is, a lot of brands are investing, uh, both traditional brands and new age brands are investing in digital and content and influencer marketing. So what's the future for uh, print and television and these traditional uh, mediums where, you know, the spends were really high in the past, but now, you know, it's, it's declining. What's the future for these mediums? Um, I think at least television still has legs in India simply because of the vast size of the population. And the fact that the numbers still make sense. Print is dying. I'm really sorry to say that, but print is dying. It's declining day by day. Um, and if you see all the examples from all over the world, uh, it will collapse someday. Um, the fact that YouTube is probably the largest channel in India, if you just take sheer numbers, is an indication that you know television is also um, you know is is ending. I mean, we are, the consumer is moving on. Um, right now, it's possible, like if I take Baiju's as an example, it's possible to use television to reach vast number of people in this country. Take IPL, right? Um, it's, a, it's a platform that you can use television on to reach a majority of people and the numbers make sense, but it only makes sense for some kind of brands. It doesn't make sense for a lot of brands. So I told you about Bakefit right in the beginning. It's grown to a very large size without having to use television. But at some point, they may have to use television to supplement uh, the digital audience that they already have. Um, my answer is last legs, uh, but television possibly has a lot more uh, runway compared to print. I mean, if you're working in print, <laughs> do something else. Sure. Thank you. Unfortunately, that is true. Um, thank you so much, Raja. We have come to an end to today's session. Um, although I know all of us wish we could have gone on for a little bit longer, but you were so candid and honest. And thank you so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed the conversation and our notes are in place. I hope you did too. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Vishwani, again for having me in the entire LEAP team. Uh, it's fabulous interacting with all of you. And like you said, right in the beginning, in these trying times, yes. uh, it felt like an hour's break. Definitely for me, I hope uh, all of you enjoyed it. But uh, again, stay safe and... Uh, Look forward to uh, interacting with all of you in some capacity in the future. Definitely. Members, thank you all so much for being such an engaged audience and firing away all the questions to Raja. Um, we'll see you for the next one very soon. And like Raja said, please stay safe, stay home, and we'll see you all very soon. Thank you, everyone.